0: When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this.
1: This place doesn't look like the
2: pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders?
0: It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah,
2: this is perfect.
0: Relax. You booked a Verbo.
3: Let the word
2: go
0: forth.
1: Fool me once.
3: Are you fired up? If I'm not
1: a crook. Are
3: you
2: ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. <laughs> it's Abe Lincoln's top hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel.
3: Boom, yeah. we can't get fooled again.
2: Hey. <clears throat> What was that? (laughs) Hey! Hey! hey. Hey. Is that a new way to start the show? Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Welcome to Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. I am Ben Kissel. Marcus Parks is with me today. Hello, Ben. Good to see you, buddy. You as well. All right. First off, I have to thank everyone at Culver Stockton College. I went to speak with them on Tuesday. It was a great time. Uh, So thank you, Brian, for uh, bringing me down there. A beautiful college, private place, private college. I think only 700 students or so. Wow. And I got 100 of them in that chapel. (laughs) Um, and it, it was really fun. And they t- they I answered their questions. I took their questions. Mm-hmm. And it was a good experience. So, uh, uh, so thank you uh, so much for giving me that experience, Culver Stockton College. Um, we have a lot of stuff to get to. Obviously, today was a big, big day regarding the confirmation hearing of Kavanaugh, of yeah. Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh had a chance to testify today to the Senate Judiciary Committee. So we are gonna talk a little bit about what uh, transpired today, and we're gonna talk about it in the larger context of what does this mean politically going forward for the Democrats and the Republicans. And we also have to talk about Donald Trump. He was at the UN, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you one thing, um, it's not a stand up stage, <laughs> so you don't necessarily want to solicit laughter you with your statements. Um, but he, he channeled his inner Bill Burr, uh-huh. and he got a bit of a laugh from world leaders when he was talking about how, uh, this administration, it's done more, it's done more than any administration in the history of the country. He's talking very, uh, you know, uh, grandiose, very, uh, you know, extravagant language uh, yeah. that he Hyperbolic always used. is definitely a word you could describe. Although he never really says that word. No, he does um, But so nonetheless, he got a little bit of laughter there. However, of course, the UN, they have paid more. The United Nations nations have started to pay more into the UN after, of course, Donald Trump asked them to. However, this is a little caveat to that. The head of the UN, uh, they have been pushing for this for quite a while. It just sort of coincides with Donald Trump. But of course... He is the president, so he will reap the reward of them paying closer to 2.5% of their GDP. Nonetheless, uh, Donald Trump. Utters this line and they laugh at him and he rolled with it right, relatively right, well. Right, would not wouldn't
1: expecting that. Wasn't expecting that. And then
2: ben, they got an even bigger laugh. Honest, honestly, man, Benjamin Netanyahu didn't even get a laugh when he brought the cartoon bomb drawing. <laughs> Everyone's like, now this is pretty serious stuff here. He's got a cartoon bomb drawing. We better be focused on that. I mean, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Uh-huh. So it's not easy to get a chuckle from world leaders. No,
1: no, not at <laughs> all. Not at all, but somehow he manages to get the entire country
2: uh, laughed at. You know what? Uh, yeah, we're laughing again.
1: Yeah, we're la- Aren't we laughing right now? Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, Ugh,
2: I- that is. That is an inaccurate thing to say as far as what we are doing as a nation. Certainly, uh, we are crying in many ways. I'm also going to talk about Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Now, this whole week for Rod Rosenstein has been, it's been a roller coaster ride, to say the least. I'm on Neil Cavuto's show. I believe it was Monday. And initially, what we heard was Rod Rosenstein. Now, for those that don't know, Mr. Rosenstein is basically uh, overseeing the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of theories floating around. Out there that Donald Trump will fire him. I think it's safe to say that Donald Trump wants to fire him. This plays into the narrative that, of course, Donald Trump wants to impede on the Mueller investigation. So I don't believe that Donald Trump will fire him. But then again, I have no idea. (laughs) So there we are. When it comes to that, let's talk about Rod Rosenstein real quick. Get this story out of uh, the way because, as far as this week goes, it's a relatively tiny story. Although in many other weeks, it might be slightly larger and certainly if you listen to conservative talk radio it's the biggest story since the Hindenburg <laughs> oh,
1: on Monday this was a huge story it was huge. I remember news alerts all kinds of shit Rod Rosenstein going to the White House to speak with the president yep. will he get fired won't he get fired and then now and it was supposed to be that he was going to have the meeting today Yes, on Thursday and until you mentioned it I had completely forgotten that this story existed
2: yes of course the Kavanaugh Ford hearing taking precedent today and obviously getting uh, much more media attention and rightfully so when it comes to Monday as I said earlier I was on national television initially I woke up in the morning they said Rod Rosenstein is going to resign and my thought was what a gift to Donald Trump (laughs) if he resigns that's exactly what the outcome is that Donald Trump would like to see and Donald Trump wouldn't have to pay the political price of firing him Uh, which, of course, again, goes into that narrative that he's trying to halt the Mueller investigation. I'm on national television. Next thing you know, Donald Trump is going to fire him. Next thing you know, Rosenstein isn't going to the White House. Next thing you know, he's going to the White House for a meeting that has nothing to do with him being fired nor resigning. So I equated the day when it came to news as when the Lost Boys were eating in the movie Hook, and they just had to (laughs) fantasize that there was food there, and naturally, of course, there wasn't any. So 24-hour news media... It's an interesting situation because when there's no there there and they're like, something's happening and you're like, nothing's happening. And we just talked for 15 minutes about nothing. (laughs) So thank you. Uh, I'm happy to waste all your time. So why is Rosenstein? What's what's the reason behind now all of this sort of added pressure or the new uh, reinvigorated uh, pressure to have him step away from his position? Evidently, last year uh, he was speaking uh, in a closed door meeting. With Lisa Page. Of course, if you know anything about anything right now, Lisa yeah. Page and Peter Strzok, the love story yeah. that tried to end the Trump presidency, <laughs> uh, they texted a lot yeah. together.
1: Yeah, yeah. You mean the co workers that were fucking?
2: Yes. <laughs> Those two FBI officials. And Andrew McCabe, of course. Andrew McCabe was then acting director of the FBI. So, Apparently they're in a meeting together, which, of course, is not being disputed. Rosenstein is speaking with McKay and they're talking about Donald Trump. Rosenstein says something about the 25th Amendment, invoking the 25th Amendment, which is, of course, uh, ousting the president because they can't do their job any longer. Usually reserved for situations where the president's mental capacity has gone way down. I will say he's about a, he's at the same capacity as when he got in.
1: Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, still, but, at a,
2: still at a angry grandpa level he's still there yeah he's still there um it's not like he went in like winston churchill and is now you know slowly going down um and of course ronald Reagan towards the later years of his presidency it wasn't it was really really quietly whispered about but there is a large consensus that he did have alzheimer's towards the end yeah um which is kind of a scary thought that this man is the leader of the free world suffering from a brain condition that obviously um is not a condition that we would want to have Uh, within the mind of the president of the United States. But nonetheless, so he's in this meeting with Andrew McCabe, Lisa Page, and he's talking about the 25th Amendment, and then they're joking around, and he says something like, what do you want me to do? Wear a wire, go bust him, try to get him on the 25th Amendment. He, from all accounts... From all accounts, this was a sarcastic comment. From all accounts, I, behind the scenes at Fox News, even the conservatives agree that it was a sarcastic comment. Neil Cavuto said it's a sarcastic comment. They all believe it. Um, of course, when you watch Sean Hannity, you would think this was the most serious statement since Moses read the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I mean, you would think that this was definitive facts that they want the deep state wants to dethrone Donald Trump. In, in all actuality, human beings having a conversation. And this was sarcasm, which is something that human beings use on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So that is why Rosenstein's name was kind of thrown all around again this week. Definitive proof uh, that they have a deep state agenda to oust the president again. I just want to really hammer that home. It was a joke. Why do I say that? Because you don't need to wear a wire yeah. to get anything on Donald Trump. This is what I said on National Television Marcus. It's really funny. All right. Just give him the number to Fox and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> because he literally the one hey, thing about Hey, hey, why don't you just give him the number to Fox and Friends. I got a couple of oohs when I said that. But seriously. You're right. You're very right. Yeah. Out of all the presidents, the one thing, out of all the people who are president, the one thing you can say about Donald Trump is, or you can't say about Donald Trump is he holds the cards close to his chest. <laughs> Those He's a horrible poker player. Those cards are facing out. So I don't think that you would need a wire to get Donald Trump uh, to say something foul, profane, unpresidential. Mm. He, he does it all himself via his Twitter feed on a regular basis so that is why rosenstein the whole speculation will he quit will he be fired all this kind of stuff again was supposed to meet with donald trump this past thursday it did not happen and this saga will continue going forward great red meat for the republican base In reality, I don't think that Donald Trump will fire him, as I said earlier, but who the heck knows? It's Donald Trump. And uh, without a doubt, I would say at this point, with November just right around the corner, only a couple of weeks out, I don't think the Mueller investigation wraps up before that. Uh, It'll be sometime after. Who knows what they find? Obviously, we got all the way up to Michael Cohen. The next biggest person is most likely Donald Trump. You got Manafort, you got Cohen. Um, So who knows how far it goes? It probably just wraps up. The overall consensus from the intelligence community, from my understanding, is it'll wrap up with sort of a gray, sort of a gray thing where, We have the indictments. Uh, those were handed down. You got the Russians in there. We got, you know, uh, we got uh, we got Papa Lop, Papadopoulos, you know, yada, yada, yada. You all know who's been indicted and things like that. And uh, who knows if it will reach uh, Donald Trump. But nonetheless, so that's why if you were wondering, why are you hearing so much about Rod Rosenstein? That's why you're hearing about it. And uh, it's not the biggest issue. No, uh, to say the least, again, because he's not part of some big he doesn't like Donald Trump. That is for sure. But I don't believe that he's going to oust him with the 25th Amendment. All right. So let's get briefly here to the U.N. as well. Donald Trump, he was speaking to the U.N. uh, this past week. And uh, as I said earlier, he kind of got laughed at there when talking about how his administration is the greatest administration in the history of the country. And he did continue on with his America First rhetoric. Uh, He continued on talking about uh, foreign policy. He continued on talking about how, um, you know, the U.S. is, is done caving in when it comes to China, when it comes to. Um, other basically mostly China and the EU when it comes to tariffs when it comes to trade Uh, Donald Trump still hitting that hard once again the tariffs who knows Uh, history has shown us they simply don't work and Xi Jinping is going to be president for life in China so um, I think that he can wait out Donald Trump's presidency whether it be two more years or six more years or if you are super far left six more hours or six more days Uh, whatever (laughs) Um, we all seem to be aging like the president except for the president, Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting turnabout. He gets a lot more sleep than we do. He does. He does. (laughs) I think it's all the diet. He
1: also gets to
2: watch a lot more TV than we do. He loves that television. Um, so that's what happened with the UN this week. Donald Trump still talking about uh, Kim Jong Un in North Korea. North Korea, of course, engaging with Donald Trump. That still is going in the positive direction, or at least according to the rhetoric coming from the White House. We'll see if uh, if Xi Jinping uh, can convince, or President Moon out of South Korea can also convince. Uh, Kim Jong-un to give up the nuclear program I don't think it's going to happen because quite frankly that is their huge bargaining chip if Mm. they give that away as I've said in the past look what happened to Gaddafi you kind of need the big gun if you want to have a conversation with the biggest military in the world which is of course the United States so that was his speech to the UN and uh, it was a little bit it was contentious at times but I think at this point the world leaders are It didn't feel like last year Mm -hmm. where they were like, what the heck is going on? Like, who is this guy? They were still sort of feeling him out. I think they know him now quite well. and It it felt like a room of people making the jerk-off motion. Yeah, they might be. <laughs> they might be. <laughs> That's what it kind of
1: felt like. like yeah, 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 whatever. Well, okay.
2: And of course, when it, came to, when it comes to Russia and the United Nation, Theresa May, of course, the leader over there in the UK, there was a poisoning. Uh, it was a, it was an attack, a biological weapon attack. They are blaming the Russians. The Russians have denied it. It's a big deal to say the least. They're on foreign soil and they poisoned a, uh, an individual on foreign soil. So the UK is rightfully upset about it. Donald Trump also talking about Iran and, uh, the nuclear deal and all the upheaval going on in Iran right now, they are extremely weak. As we've talked about, as we've talked about, uh, in the past, Iran is still going through an uprising in the rural areas and the urban areas as well. They're kind of both groups of individuals, economic. And, uh, when it comes to religion, both non-religious and super religious people, they all agree that this regime is, um, taking their money, and they're not getting anything for it. And, of course, the regime is because of sanctions in dire straits. So yes. we'll see how long Iran is going to be able to do what <sighs> they're doing in the Middle East and who fills the power vacuum if they go away. The Russians, who the heck knows, because it doesn't seem, at least under Donald Trump's foreign policy, that the U.S. is going to be filling a power vacuum in that region of the Middle East anytime soon. Yeah. All right, so let's get to the hearings today. Christine Blasey Ford testified first, followed by Brett Kavanaugh. It was emotional to say the least, and I understand this is a very emotional topic. 36 years ago, this is when the alleged incident took place in the summer of 1982, and uh, I understand that trauma is extremely difficult to deal with, and everyone deals with it in different ways. I was telling, I've told you guys the story before of when I was in high school, and I'm not making this about me, I'm simply going to tell a couple of stories about, that make me empathize and understand what high school trauma looks like and how it can manifest itself throughout your life. As I've talked about before on the show, uh, when I was 15 years old, I was pinned. Down. There was a basketball trophy that um, I was rectally penetrated by a basketball trophy, five boys. Uh, pin me down they were my friends and at the time it was like it is what it is um, but no doubt that had deep psychological issues with me I wonder if uh, that's one of the reasons I was morbidly obese I wonder if that's why I chose comedy uh, because of the laughter that w- that, uh, that, that solicited also I, I, I had uh, to do the dime drill which is when 15 boys got around a stall I pushed a dime around a toilet bowl with my nose humiliating embarrassing and of course that has and I'm not equating this uh, to what Miss Ford has gone through I'm simply equating this uh, into the context of trauma that occurs in your teenage years and those definitely both of those memories definitely stick with me and they certainly have shaped who I am as a human being so a lot of people saying this was 36 years ago why are you bringing it up now why did you just bring it up in 2012 trauma works itself out in different ways so I want to just let everyone know I empathize with you if you've gone through trauma I understand And uh, it's never something easy. And it does shape your life. I'm sure both of those incidents have had um, impacts on my relationships, my trust issues, um, self-worth issues, no doubt. Um, So I understand it from that perspective. So Blasey Ford, she testified today. Uh, The Democrats, obviously, much more lenient on her much more they were that 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 was their that was their guest Mm -hmm. um so cory booker for example brought her coffee but for some reason i just found that to be a little bit patronizing that was my my personal take on it yeah a little bit so she testified it was an emotional testimony she um attempted to fill in as many blanks as possible uh and uh it was it was uh again extremely difficult to watch her testimony she was extremely believable and uh, again it was uh, it was just uncomfortable and sad um, to see what was happening in Extremely front of sad. the nation. Yeah. Extremely sad, uh, to say the least. So uh, following her testimony, she talked about being in a room. She said she went upstairs. Uh, she was going to the bathroom. This was a house party with roughly five or six people. She said she was going to the bathroom. She was pushed into a bedroom by Mark Judge and uh, Brett Kavanaugh. This is where the assault occurred. Okay, so we have uh, also there was a woman in that room that is a friend of of Miss Ford, Leland Kaiser. So that was her testimony. She was uh, grilled not by the Senate Republicans. The Senate Republicans, uh, they were there. However, they chose to use a surrogate, Rachel Mitchell. She was. Uh, she's out of Arizona. She's a sex c- crimes prosecutor. She also interviewed uh, Miss Ford. Uh, obviously, more difficult line of questioning than many of the Democrats. And uh, as I talked about in the last episode, we don't have to go through uh, all of the events that occurred uh, that night or uh, allegedly occurred that night. It was a lot of the things that we had previously heard. Again, uh, Miss Ford came across as as trustworthy. And certainly it seems it appears as if she has gone through trauma. Yes. Hey guys, this episode of Top Hat is brought to you by Quip. I'm sure you do a bunch of stuff every day to be healthy, getting your steps in, taking your vitamins, but what about your teeth? So many people neglect to brush their teeth correctly or for long enough. That's why Quip is here to help you brush better. Quip's a small, sleek, and stylish electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes you see in stores, while still packing the powerful vibrations of those bigger brushes. There's no chargers or wires, making keeping your teeth clean easy at home or on the go. Quip brushes come equipped with a built-in timer that uses guiding pulses to help you switch sides and make sure you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes. Quip subscription plans aren't just crazy convenient, they also keep you healthy. Quip delivers new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule. Every three months, you'll get a new brush head for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. Quip comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a hygienic travel cover, making it easy to take Quip and fresh breath wherever life takes you. Everyone loves Quip. Quip was on Oprah's O-List, named one of Time's Best Inventions, and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Plus, they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists, and over hundreds of thousands of happy brushers, including me, use Quip every day. Not sold yet? Quip is designed to last and is covered for the life of your plan, and you can return it for up to 30 days if it's not love at first brush. Quip starts at just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash top hat right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash top hat, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash top hat. So let's cut now to Brett Kavanaugh. He spoke. This is this was the second time he spoke about this in 10 days. He gave an interview with Fox News uh, with his wife there. His opening monologue, also extremely impassioned, extremely difficult to watch, and, um, and extremely emotional. This was just a very emotional day all around. I will say this, when it comes to Judge Kavanaugh, uh, he did make it political. Yes. Uh, obviously, this is a super political process. Uh, it's not supposed to be. Um, but you know what? There's a lot of things that aren't as they're supposed to be. This is supposed to be sort of a, a bipartisan uh, scenario, but it, it was not the case. Certainly uh, in the mind of Brett Kavanaugh, so he he yelled at uh, some Democrats for their rec- uh, for their rhetoric, uh, talking about how he's the definition of evil, and anyone who supports him is evil. And then he went through a an account that was far different uh, than Miss Ford's. He kept a data he kept a a, a journal uh, because his father. Kept a journal, so he began uh, doing a journal a long time ago, a couple of years before uh, this incident allegedly occurred. Uh, the three women that were in, or the one woman and the two men that were in the room, allegedly with Miss Ford, they wrote under oath uh, that they were not there. Uh, And then we also have a situation where uh, he um, talked about, you know, just sort of who he was as a person and gave a little background into uh, his life. This is just one of those really difficult situations that. It's a lose-lose for the country. It's a lose-lose for Miss Ford and Kavanaugh. Both of their lives are going to be altered forever. Um, these allegations are going to... Uh, death threats are on coming from all sides here. It's it's absolutely devastating. And it's, it's just... I don't know. I mean, Marcus, maybe you can speak on this. It just felt to me as I'm watching it, I just felt so much... Um, just a pit in my stomach and just so much uh, pain. And it just seemed like, you know... Um, it just seemed like uh there was if you want like the the nation's divide in front of a senate hearing committee that was basically it it just felt like we were tearing open multiple wounds and as i mentioned uh you know earlier what went what happened uh, as I was a child, you, you think about all those things and you start, you, it's just very difficult. And I understand um, because these are very difficult issues.
1: Well, when I watch uh, things like this, you know, and hearing about the, uh, everything uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and watching the hearings today, you know, and, you know, and I definitely, you know, this, this sentence kept going through my head and it kept going through my head on a lot of different levels. Uh, and that was, this is not the way things should be. Right like on a lot of different levels like this right. is not the way things should be uh, between teenagers. This is not the way things should be when it comes to Supreme Court justices. This is right. not the way things should be when people are trying to look for justice. Just right. in general, this is not the way things should be. Right. And and you twist yourself up when you're watching these things. You twist yourself up in all kinds of emotions and you end up right back where you started. You just feel worse. Right. Because, you know, this is not the way things should be. And you have no clue how to fix it
2: and i do have a little bit of anger when it comes to um well both sides obviously um but when it comes to the democrats holding on to this information for so many uh multiple weeks this should have been talked about during the four the, the 31 hours yeah uh, of, of justice kavanaugh being uh being under oath uh the initial four days also during one of the fbi Background checks. This man has held high office in this country, federal office, for quite a while. It it should have been figured out. And it just really, it's just sad to me that they waited until after, they dropped this thing this bombshell on past uh, two sundays ago now well why weren't we talking about this why weren't why, and then the fbi could they, they were there is time for an fbi investigation they it took them two days with anita hill so i th- so that's not an excuse uh when it comes to it would take too long something like that they could however if you actually look at what the fbi does uh, they 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 would just come out and they would just share with the senate hearing committee basically what the senate hearing committee was already listening to which was the testimony of ford the testimony of kavanaugh i think it would be good if mark judge could be under oath i think that would be good to hear follow-up questions to his written statement i absolutely agree with that 100 percent but when it comes to um, the democrats being like hey uh, let's have an fbi investigation It really is trying to create a middleman where you don't need a middleman because he's there and he's talking to you. The FBI, he's already under oath. So people say if they're under oath, she wants an FBI investigation, he doesn't. They're under oath. If you perjure yourself under oath, it doesn't matter if you're talking to the FBI or the Senate Judiciary Committee, that is a crime, and you will go to prison for that crime. So the stakes are the same, and, uh, you know, I understand the desire uh, to close it up. However, at the same time, then you flip it and you're like, well, why the F didn't we have this? Why wasn't this going on? Dianne Feinstein's people, they knew about this when she met 20 days before they met. Bring it up then. Yeah. Bring it up then. And, and so that's why for the American people, it wasn't just dropped on on Kavanaugh or uh, these allegations. These were, these were dropped on the whole nation and everyone, it was just it's just a a whiplash society that we're in right now and it's difficult it's like when you're you know i remember i was in my thunderbird growing up and we were and my car was spinning out because i was driving too fast yeah. and i was on ice <laughs> and my brain it, it's just like holy shit. and then i was like okay you got to try to get the reins try to figure it out Inevitably, I ended up in a snowbank, which is kind of where we are as a country. But oh, yeah. that's what it feels like. We're trying to wrap our brains around uh, these huge issues in such a quick amount of time and in such a whiplash news cycle that we live in now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, with it seems like uh, my reaction with every uh, news item uh, was the same that uh, I had with this one. It was, wait, what? Like, that's what everything feels like now it's like what it used to be when news would kind of like come in and like so you know just sort of wash over you a little bit and you had time to process mm-hmm. it uh now we just we don't have time to process it i mean think about you know the uh, the rosenstein thing it's like we were right. saying like you know earlier this week that was such a gigantic story yeah. and then now just a few days later like it's not a story anymore like things are just yeah things are whipped at us at all times you know right. and it's just not i mean it's not just the emotional toll of what you know the people that uh, are actually having to go and testify about this shit it's not just the emotional toll that they have to go through it's like the emotional toll is uh, washing over the entire country now. right like we're all going through it and, we're,
2: we're all attached to this and please watch miss ford watch mr kavanaugh watch their opening statements make up your own minds Um, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing about this in this battle. It's going to break bipartisan lines and it's just so sad. It's just sad to me. I also want to talk a little bit about this approach regarding the high school yearbook. You know, Patrick Lay. He is talking to me. He's, he's got his Patrick, He's got his high school yearbook. Stupid fricking quote lined up there. Uh, this is the time, as Judge Kavanaugh did mention. This is Animal House, Fast Times at New. Ro- uh, what is it? Fast, Fast times, times at Richmond, Richmond High. Yeah, yeah. Um, Caddyshack. These kinds of movies. That was sort of the humor of the time. And these are children. And it's tough because you're looking at adults. And I, you know, I just went to speak at this college and I'm not maligning the college whatsoever. Culver Stockton, thank you for having me. But I haven't been around 18 year olds in a very long time. It's different. It's different. And I was like, <laughs> oh, because I never feel 37. Yeah. I just don't feel it really, even mm-hmm. though everyone considers me to be uh, old and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was just again, I was just kind of stunned. I was like, oh, that's right. Kid. Those are kids. They're kids. Yeah. Um, And they some were getting scolded for being on their phones, you know, by the dean that was there. And I was like, man, it's so weird. Uh, to be in 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 the presence of juvenile behavior like that, yeah, and of course I'm not saying we don't do any juvenile behavior, you know. I just found that to be a little bit like okay, it's a yearbook, it's 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 stupid, and, and they're kids. Um, well, and obviously when it comes to sexual assault, that's a totally different thing, and that is not what I'm having issue with, by the way. And when I say they're kids, I'm talking about that yearbook thing. Yeah. Um, the sexual assault is sexual assault no matter what. Um, but I I just don't know why they blew that up and I I, I don't know. I would love to see Patrick Leahy's yearbook. What did he do when he was 17? I'd be fascinated to know. know, Yeah, I think you actually missed it. Of course, he's not running for Supreme Court. He's not being nominated to the Supreme Court, I understand. Of course, of course. Uh,
1: But uh, I think you may have missed it because you were walking from uh, your apartment over to the studio here but I was watching and that line of questioning uh, they were asking about boofing. He's like, now what is boofing? Uh, And Kavanaugh would be like, It's uh, flatulence it's flatulence it's right. it's it's flatulence in someone's face you know and you know they're just asking all of these questions and he's having to be like it's just so undignified it's so horribly undignified like these are very serious allegations that you're talking about here not only are these serious allegations but you're talking about the supreme court of the united states and you're asking about farts. yeah no like, honestly actually that's where we fucking came
2: that's where we are in this country now right. it's like it's a supreme court hearing and they're talking about Parts. And of course, I have to point out, there was two other women that came forward that said he flashed them at parties, that he was big into, you know, uh, gang rape situations, that he was that he was spiking uh, punches and things like that, uh, you know those stories are uncorroborated at this point uh, more information perhaps uh, could come out but uh, yeah that was that's what struck me as well it's just like is are Trey and is, is Trey Parker and Matt Stone are they scripting it sounded like <laughs> it honestly it sounded like and I'm not making light of any of this by the way no. we're just trying to get through this like everybody else but it's like if cartman was running for the supreme court and he had to explain farting yeah kind of you know right. and it's like this is so undignified and the act of sexual assault is an undignified act obviously and must be taken extremely seriously but the just the way the process is also everyone gets five minutes it's five minutes five minutes five minutes five minutes for all the senators republican democrat and to me that was just such a janky way to do it Mm -hmm. because you never really got any substance in so many ways and it pisses me off to no end when you see both sides lindsey graham just did it uh cory booker did it uh when they just get out there and it's just you can tell you can tell they're making campaign ads right in front of our eyes yeah
1: they're making campaign ads or they're just making fools of themselves they're making fools of themselves and their party and they're making fools of this entire country
2: and it's just pathetic so anyway let's break that down and again i am not You know, you all are creative, intelligent, loving people. You make your own minds up. None of us are senators that have to vote on this it is, uh, it, it is just, it's a sad day for this country. And that's just, I'm sure some people will, will not like, um, the conversation, but I don't know what to do because it's just sad. And it may, and it kind of breaks uh, my heart because this could have been something that we, we should have known about. And he, if we knew about it, you know what, he wouldn't have been nominated in the first place. Um, perhaps, and this, this is something to do. There is no denying this. You can't deny the orange elephant in the room. I'm not talking about Garfield, uh, who is a cat. <laughs> I am talking about donald trump you cannot ignore the visceral hatred towards donald trump and i understand mm. um this man is a person who brags about assaulting women on uh, with billy bush grab him by the pussy all this shit all this kind of crap that he spews out on a regular basis and donald trump is there and you can't get to him so this is a way of getting some of the let out of getting some of the you know steam out and your anger and your rage and i get that um, wholeheartedly, and that's why November 8th, I hope it manifests itself at the polls, yes. which is where it needs to. Yes, Let's, that's
1: where all of us, the, the, the people that, you know, me and Ben, they're talking right now and everybody that is listening at home, the polls are the only thing that matters to you. As far as change goes, as far as what you can right. actually
2: change, the polls are what matters, turning out. So let's talk about politics here. And again, if you want to know more, go back and listen to the last episode. I, I think I broke it down fairly. Some people were, thought I was too conservative. Some people thought I was too liberal. So I felt like I did a good job. <laughs> um, so let's talk about just politically. Yeah. So November is rolling right around the corner, as I just said. And the Democrats really, they have to turn out here because there's 10 Senate seats uh, that Democrats hold right now. Obviously, one third of the Senate is elected every two years. So we have one third of the Senate that's up for re-election. There are 10 senators Democratic senators that are in Trump states. So if the Democratic Party is going to flip the Senate, they not only need to sweep that, they also need to pick up a few in more Republican-leaning states. Very difficult to do. The House, slightly more reasonable, as we've talked about with Connor Lamb and PA-18 and things like that. So the goal here for the Democrats is to get turnout to the polls. And the Supreme Court and women's rights, And, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade and, and, you know, just a culture is being voted on right now. Yes. And that's what the Democrats are counting on to get people to the poll when it comes to Kavanaugh. If he ends up if this confirmation here, and I believe they're going to vote on Saturday. Perhaps you're listening to it after the vote. I don't know the future. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, if he is not nominated to the Supreme Court and they have to uh, choose somebody else, there won't be enough time uh, within before the midterms. So we will be going into the midterms with eight Supreme Court justices. There are some significant cases that the Supreme Court is going to be ruling on, and if it ends in a tie, I mean it's just it's just not the way the system is supposed to work, mm-hmm. uh, because then it just kicks back down to the lower courts decision. So it's possible. And for the Republicans, if you're a Republican, you think you've just been given now another thing to galvanize support because now the Supreme Court is back in the, in the minds of yeah. Republicans so they can say, well, we didn't get the court. We didn't get the court. What happened to Kavanaugh was wrong. I'm speaking. I'm channeling what what you would hear from Republicans. I was on Curtis and Rita's show today and all of their callers. I mean, they were just they were very, very much in favor of Kavanaugh, that's, that's, those are people. I don't know who these people, I don't know where they call from. Uh, upstate. Whenever, whenever you're on, but when you do radio, you're like, where, where are these people? Like, but of course you, you do see that. Uh, they're them. from upstate yes. Bensonhurst. You, you know where they are. Yes. You do see a different world. Of course, when, when you get out of New York and in many ways, it's a beautiful place. And I love, I love the country and I love the people. There's, they're very sweet um, in many, many uh, aspects. But if the Supreme court is still up for grabs, I, I think it galvanizes both sides. And you just wonder yeah. if the Republicans are out there. Those people, man. I, so I was I was just, again, as I was talking about it, Culver Stockton College hanging out in Quincy, Illinois. Big time Trump country. I had a great time speaking with a bartender at a bowling alley who hated Trump. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you can say whatever you want to say. And she's like, it's just really nice because you can't say anything around here. I'm like, feel free to vent. And yeah. she did. <laughs> uh, when I talk about visceral hatred for Donald Trump, I see it. And she, yeah. and she did. Oh, and
1: shit, did you get to drink at a bowling alley? Yeah, bro, it was
2: pretty cool. <laughs> It was pretty cool, I'm um, not gonna lie, and but the way that she talked about Trump, I'm like, yes, I get that, and it's they hate, and it's they this he got elected. like like yeah. this guy is like horrible, yeah. and when you look at Trump, you see the person who abused you, yeah, you know uh so i get i I, I get that, but my God, the passion um. It cannot be understated. No, they're they're on. They're still on fire. Usually at a point like this, as we saw in t- uh, 2010 or even uh, 2002, 2006. I mean, it's like um, a little bit more dissipated it's a little bit more like, well, you know, whatever. He's kind of a president. Now he messed up a little bit. Yeah, we don't like him. But it just seems like they're so, like, intense. And because now we're living in this culture, in this world where we live in I was asked by a a question by a student about hyper-partisanship and why we're so playing to the 15% on the left, 15% on the the right. And it's because of redistricting. It's because of gerrymandering. We're seeing it manifest itself. And now we have a situation where this president— Talk to 35% of this country and never even come. He doesn't give a crap. He probably doesn't like, I think it's safe to say he doesn't like uh, the other 55% or what is it? He doesn't like the other 65%. So, um, but they also feel like they are just following the leader. So the amount of passion that they have is uh, is something that I have never really seen before. It's I've never seen a movement presidency like this. I yeah. don't remember people who supported Obama. I voted for him twice. I just don't recall screaming at people, being like, Obama, Obama, like just uh, randomly. Marcus, you were just upstate. Yeah. And you said that somebody just came up to you. I was uh, walking. Me and Carolina, we were uh,
1: upstate at Lake George for a nice little lake vacation, a little bit of nice. time. A little bit of time on a boat, a little bit of time hiking up in the mountains, getting lost, and ended up having to, you know, hike about 10 miles or so.
2: But we're out. You almost died, by the way. And Carolina <laughs> tells a much different story. She says, without me, Marcus would have died. Uh, she, apparently she said, uh, Apparently you laid on a rock and said, just leave me here. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what she said.
1: No, she is uh exaggerating quite a bit okay she's exaggerating a lot but I will uh-huh. also say I understand why more women survive the Donner party tragedy than men <laughs> I can say or, I understand that now okay uh, but we were up there uh, in town and you know we're out you know, having a good time going from bar to bar we're going from King Neptunes over to Duffy's Of co- you got to <laughs> <laughs> it's bar hopping yeah bar hopping and we're walking and I don't know what it is I guess maybe it's our appearance that I guess we just look liberal. I don't uh, think. Th- I don't even know not, what that
2: means, though, because you
1: you're a Texan.
2: Yeah. Were you wearing a shirt
1: that was like? like I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess uh, we just look like we were from the city. Maybe okay. Maybe we just look, we look like we were from Brooklyn. I will know? say that not, but, not hipster, but you know, still like, oh, those people probably live in the city. Okay. All right. Um, but we're it. we're walking, and this group of three people are walking coming the other way, and we're meeting them, and this one girl. Probably, I don't know, 25, maybe even younger. She just looks at us and goes, Donald Trump. And I'm just fucking flabbergasted. Like, dude, we were having a nice conversation about the band we just saw. Right. Because they were a fucking rock and cover band called Kick. (laughs) (laughs) We were going to see the other rock and cover band hit and run. That's a
2: felony. (laughs) Hey there, Ben Kissel for software advice. I'll tell you, the first thing you learn when you start a podcast network is how often things can go wrong. From microphones breaking to stuff getting lost in the mail to websites going down, sometimes we need a little help. That's why we have a network of folks to call when we've got a real head scratcher of a problem. When it comes to getting advice on what software to use, we've got our go-to-people software advice. When it comes to picking the right software for your business, Software Advice has done all the research for you. Their team of advisors can point you in the right direction so you can start working more effectively right away. And it's absolutely free. Just go to softwareadvice.com Abe and answer a few short questions about your business. You'll be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. Talking to an advisor takes just 10 minutes or less. Whether you're a construction manager or a medical professional, an HR pro, you name it, Software Advice will save you time and help you make a more informed decision. And if you're an entrepreneur like me or you work solo, Software Advice is a great way to get an expert opinion, even without the resources of a big company. These experts are ready to be your on-call go team to help you figure out business software in minutes for free. Why wouldn't you start here? End the software struggle today. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Abe to get started. That's softwareadvice.com slash A-B-E to connect with an advisor for free. Softwareadvice.com slash Abe. Oh, we're having a great night. You know, right. I'm having
1: a great time. And then this woman, and that's right as we were walking by a, town, a store called Dilly Gath, Ooh. Uh, which uh, what the stands, hell does that mean? Uh, does it look like I give a fuck? Dilly Gaff? It's apparently an upstate New York thing. It's,
2: they call it a dip with like the. Like, it'd be like, yeah, I went to the store today. Dilly Gaff. That's what they say? <laughs> I guess. Really? Someone if you're t- upstate, just feel free to email or DM me. I'd have never heard that before. S-
1: someone commented on my Instagram uh, after I posted a t shirt from there that said, rather be coming than stroking. Uh, it's one of those, like, you know, truck rivalry t shirts. Classic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that place had, you know, like a bunch of t shirts of Donald Trump's face uh, photoshopped on a bikers' <laughs> bodies. Like, in shape bikers' bodies. Oh, is like, like what they do in North Korea with Kim Jong Un's <laughs> face. Yeah, and then it had uh, what is it? It's like finally a president with some balls. Uh, and, shit and apparently like that. a mushroom
2: penis, which I have avoided talking about. Stormy Daniels goes into great detail. Watch, read the blurb if you want to hear about if it. If you, it was not fun. Personally, I don't want to know anything about Sh- it. Well, yeah, we yeah. have to now. We yeah, have to. We have- so that's what we do now.
1: Uh, but that tells you, like these people are aggressive.
2: They are. Like they're very aggressive, and they want you to know. And as we talked about before the show, where they where they reside they don't have the same uh, polling problems or polling place problems that a yeah. lot of other people do. If you look at the polling stations across the country, uh, there have been people who have been disenfranchised because of the day that we ha- the the day we have elections. I don't know why it's not a weekend. I don't know why it's not more than one day. I don't know why it's not a holiday. I don't know why it's not a holiday. Good, great point. Um, and oftentimes in the most crowded of places, the most urban environment of places, they have the lowest amount of polling stations. And in these rural places, it's very easy to get to the polls. You have more time and you have more of them available yeah and uh
1: speaking to the point that uh you made earlier as far as like how this uh might galvanize the base one way or another uh is you know the democrats say if if kavanaugh doesn't get confirmed the democrats can say come out to the polls and if we come out to the polls then we can get a supreme court nominee that we actually want sure or at least someone that's more reasonable absolutely Uh, but they're and the republicans can say like okay well we didn't get kavanaugh so if we don't stay in power then we're then the democrats are going to choose uh somebody but But here's the problem uh, is that Republicans vote. Democrats don't, and mm. that is partly because you know Republicans are older; they have more time, they're more motivated. But it also has to do with Democrats, you know, like you said, like the polling uh, problems. right You know, states, districts that uh, lean Democrat tend to have uh, somehow
2: more problems voting.
1: Right. You know, they. It's just a, it's a disenfranchisement issue. It's a, a lot of different issues. It is. It's a it racist is. issue. There's a lot of things. Going Economic
2: on issue, and uh, as I talked about it on the last episode of. Uh, top hat as well the voting hacking which yeah. is extremely easy to do much easier than i thought it was uh to actually hack voting machines and change their uh change the outcome of elections which is 100 yeah. uh horrifying
1: but just just remember everybody out there again you know we're we're gonna be stressing this a lot in the months to come uh but historically republicans turn out more than Democrats do and there are a hell of a lot more people in this country that align themselves against Donald Trump than for Donald Trump and while that might make you feel better while it might make you feel better that even you know the Republican uh, polling numbers the Republican polling approval numbers probably only make up about 20% of the country that might make you feel better but the only thing that
2: really matters is if you go out and vote and of course when you break it down by states it, it just it, it breaks uh, breaks down a little bit differently than like a national poll yeah uh, obviously as we saw in 2016 obviously um, when it comes to a senate seat that maybe the democrats can flip you have a situation going on right now with Beto O'Rourke in Texas he's going against Ted Cruz oh, I love this race so much and this race is quite fascinating uh, Beto he's been polling right with him or a little bit above sometimes below but nonetheless every poll has been within the margin of error I thought that Beto did a great job in the debates. If you get a chance to watch it, you can just YouTube Beto O'Rourke and, and Ted Cruz and watch the debate. I think he handled himself well. Um, and who knows? Maybe there is a Senate seat up th- up for grabs there. As I was talking about at, at, uh, at the university, it's tough in a state like Texas yeah. because usually states go back to their DNA. It's hard for people to admit when they're wrong and that's why you see folks either voting for a candidate that they voted for previously or perhaps staying at home. And the one issue that I'm seeing right now with uh, the Democratic Party, 2016 uh, anybody but Trump is not a, a platform. No. And the Republicans tried it in, in the primary and the Democrats tried it in, uh, in, the, in the general. And anybody but Trump is not. It doesn't matter because Trump is still the optimal character. He is still the optimal term. And so they just have to find messages Uh, In places, as I talked about with Connor Lamb, uh, even even Alexandria Cortez. I don't think they did her many favors by trying to make her the face of the Democratic Party right away. Mm. You have to let people uh, learn the job, uh, learn how to speak about uh, their political positions and win the seat to begin with. She will end up winning. Of course, it's a very safe seat. But someone like Beto Beto O'Rourke is a great example of a face of someone who you can rally behind smart, articulate. Um, he's cool. He's a cool I mean, guy. There's no he's,
1: cool dudes <laughs> like no. since
2: Obama left. There's no cool dudes and, left. And politically, I think he is. He's a good shade of purple. He's yeah. running as a Democrat in Texas. That's why I always like party people who are of the opposite party of the dominating party uh, in states or congressional districts, because by definition, they have to be uh, more um, they have to out. They have to have more outreach. Yeah, in their political philosophies and the key points that I like. You we know, obviously uh, very pro LGBTQ. Uh, when it comes to African Americans, he understands um, needs in that community specifically in Texas. When it comes to immigration and the Hispanic community, I think he's been doing a lot of really great outreach for them. Um, and so I think there are some good. Th- when it comes to healthcare, I think he's got a more moderate plan than uh, than some people are presenting. And so he seems to me like someone who the democrats uh, could use and again Connor lamb is another one alexandria cortez no not maligning her whatsoever um it's just is that a nationwide individual uh who knows and some people might say i just chose two white men i did i don't know what to tell you about that um <laughs> But uh, there's other people out there in different areas that that you just have to reflect your constituents. And I think Alexandria Cortez is a great uh, a great uh, addition to the Democratic fold um, and to people who can begin. I mean, just as the Republicans have the Freedom Caucus, have social conservatives, have fiscal conservatives. Uh, no, they don't. No. Uh, number one, the <laughs> yeah. people who say they are yeah. can't yeah, spend yeah. a 1.3 trillion dollar omnibus bill and be like we're for small government and less spending. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, highly doubt every Republican in the
1: last. Uh, 30 years has gotten us a deficit at the end of a huge deficit at the end of their presidency
2: yeah fiscal conservatism is a fucking lie dude it's totally i mean i can't even i was just thinking about this the other day which is why i'm so lonely um (laughs) when when the budget was balanced Two thousand. I mean, nineteen ninety. The budget yeah, no, was balanced. No, we had a surplus
1: it, it, in two thousand. Can when you even Bush imagine that? Yeah, we had a we had it when Clinton came out of office. We had a a surplus.
2: Can you even the, imagine the, the that?
1: Ba- today? The the budget was more than balanced. Now fiscal conservative just means fuck the poor.
2: And now it's a time where I think as if you're an economist, it was my again my understanding. Uh, deficits are just the the thing that is now, mm-hmm. and to some degree, you could argue that shows that we're trading a lot and. There's some good economic indicators, evidently, that go with the deficit. and King I'm of say- debt. King of debt. King of debt. <laughs> he is the Donald Trump to king of debt. Um, so that's what has to happen. Yeah. So they have to get you know some voices out there, some people out there. And I'm just a little bit sick of how mainstream media, not to uh, channel any conspiracy thought out there, but the way they push forward the same individuals, Kamala Harris, and I have no problem with her. Elizabeth Warren, I have no problem with her. Um, they're, they're doing what they do. Um, Cory Booker uh when it comes to um uh, obviously the burnster some other it's just they only show them there are the Democratic Party it needs to get big yeah. bigger we have to we have to start you know expanding our ideas not limiting our focus and and telling people what they can and cannot say or what they can and cannot do or what they can and cannot believe um, and still call themselves a Democrat the focus simply has to be on personal freedom personal liberties freedom of speech first amendment rational gun policy I mean things that really affect human beings life. let's focus on education let's get some money on education you know i mean when it comes to 19 billion dollars for a border wall let's put that into at least some of it let's put that into securing our voting machines we have to get back to a message that is uniting mm-hmm. and and we can't just run on a f trump because his people they f they say f you they yeah. don't care and they're going to be there and i i it's just The polar opposite of the past eight years with Obama, where obviously the Democrats lost a thousand seats across the board. I mean, it's just devastating. He wasn't Obama wasn't able to get anyone out to the polls in midterms. And we'll see. uh, We'll see if Donald Trump can. And certainly he's lost a lot. But then he also picks up some solely because um, some people are seeing what the Democratic Party is doing and they're not happy either. So. Again, um, it's just unfortunate that we are living in these hyperpartisan times. And I really, really hope I pray to the Lord um, that the that the Democrats can figure this out so we can get some checks and balances. I said that on Cavuto show and they said, no, we don't <laughs> want checks and balances because this is exactly what the Republicans want. Yeah, obviously they no. want the Senate. They want the House and they want to have full control. And they want the Democrats fighting with each other. Yeah, they
1: absolutely do. Now that's that's what the other side always wants. They want so. they want people to be fighting between, the, uh, betwixt themselves. Uh, but, you know, as as far as just running on like a never Trump or anyone but Trump, I mean, the Trump campaign, Trump and his followers, it's already a contrarian movement. Of course. It, it's already, it, like, that's well, it. It's already, it's everything's based on fuck you. Everything. Uh, but you can't. You can't run against fuck you with fuck you. Like right. you
2: have to have an idea. You have to be a light. You have to elevate. You have to be a light. You yeah. have to be a light. And of course, going back to what we were talking about regarding uh, confirmation hearings regarding um, Supreme court justices, the fact that it's only 51, the Democrats did that. It's like so stupid. So now it should just have always stay at 60. Yeah. We should not understand a simple majority to elect someone who is going to sit on a court of nine, um, forever 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 so that's another massive mistake so there's so many reasons for the division and it's just so sad to see it again uh as we've seen it played out uh, throughout the week basically in every facet of our government yeah um which is uh which is it which is difficult to watch and it, it's difficult to be here right now honestly it's a different i was talking to marcus before the show it's like if th- if we if this wasn't our job this would be a week i'd kind of step back and try to get my brain <laughs> I'm um, trying to just get my brain uh, yeah. a little bit more uh, together and uh, and try to remember, um, you know, who we are as a nation and yeah. not what we are right now as a nation. It's been a very exhausting week for for the entire country. Yes. And uh, yes, absolutely. So basically, that's uh, that's the news. That's sort of the uh, emotional take on the news this week. Um, but I, I hope you enjoyed the show and feel free to DM me uh, with your thoughts on Instagram at Ben Kissel one again. Log off a of Twitter if you're if you're. You know, you go there and you find yourself feeling bad. I logged on the other day, and uh, because I still have it up, because what Twitter does, which I just was so upset about, because I kept on getting all these DMs being like, "Why'd you block me on Twitter?" I'm like, "I don't. I haven't blocked anyone on Twitter." Um, So I just unfollowed everyone. So I don't have a news feed. I don't care. I have my own little brain. I can. I can cultivate. I can curate my own news. I feel like I'm fair uh, when it comes to that. uh, but I don't want people to think that I've blocked them. Yeah. So I'm still on Twitter. So I, occasionally I look at it, and as soon as I started looking at it, nothing was mean. It's just it's it's just not it's just not. Um, I think it's, it's not conducive a, to actual conversation, and that's I, that's what I don't like about it. I think it's been about four or
1: five months since I've looked at Twitter, like yeah. I actually looked at. Well, it. it's you're been missing a, nothing. It's been a very yeah. I'm I'm missing absolutely nothing. Yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah, take care of your own mental health, and uh, that's all we can do. And then we gotta just write the ship. And just get back uh, to being reasonable. And I understand there's a lot of pain, a lot of pain out there. I yeah. totally get it. And I know a as lot soon of people someone, are getting a reminder of that pain every single day. Every day, as soon as we elected someone who, uh, again, bragged about sexual assault, uh, that that will happen. Yeah, that will lead to a lot of pain. And then when we have a president who is constantly, um, constantly, uh, benefiting. From those divides, whether it be the NFL players taking a knee, uh, which was obviously not what they're making it out to be. Um. By the way, Kaepernick needs to. Kaepernick needs to get back into the NFL. I, I hope he does. But I mean, at this point now, of course, he's the spokesperson for Nike, or he's part of the Just Do It campaign. And some people were like, Nike's going to take a hit, and I'm like, of course they're not. No, this they, is like such a Nike win.
1: Yeah, record profits while Nike. Uh. By the way, Nike donates more money to uh but Republicans than Democrats by fucking well, far.
2: Honestly, I know we're about to wrap up, but when I saw I forget who it was wearing Nike on the red carpet, I'm like, uh, it's child slavery labor like they, <laughs> like that's how crazy people have gotten be like yeah oh Donald Trump is mad at Nike because they put Kaepernick on so I like Nike no th- no no Nike sucks it's an it's evil the same corporation. Same thing with the intelligence agencies these
1: are all evil corporations the
2: NSA still sucks the CIA sucks the FBI sucks yeah okay it's like they're like these things uh, are not great just because they don't like Trump and- but that's the world we live in now and that's why we constantly end up losing well I get and I get what
1: some people are saying you know some people are saying you know with like Nike it's like yeah I know they do a lot of awful shit but i would rather go with uh, i would rather go with the company that thinks i'm a human being I'm like, i understand okay, i totally understand that but
2: let's just let's just still have it's some perspective Nike. they're it's part Nike. of the oligarchy yeah. they're the, i mean you know it's like donald trump also doesn't like apple you know it's like, or or google <laughs> donald trump is against google yeah um which you know i'm going to bing i actually did i did bing i said i'm gonna to bing. do bing for a day Uh And Bing is funny (laughs) because when you search for something, you don't get what you searched for, which is pretty good. So they're like, I'm going to figure this. Maybe just it's a different way of thinking, I guess. I think its algorithm is probably different and they call it better. But I do understand that. Remember, Google is just a company. What that says is it's a company's narrative. Twitter is a company. It's Twitter. Twitter promotes certain stories they want to promote. Facebook is the same way. Remember that when it comes to these devices. Google is not some end all be all. I think they promote a lot of negative news. Uh, all across the board. Um, so, I, you know, anyway, don't. I'm not saying go to Bing. No. You know what? Let's go to Yahoo. What has Yahoo ever done? I don't think they're a search engine anymore. Are they not? Go to AltaVista. AltaVista. Go to Dogpile. I never heard of Dogpile.
1: AJ was an aggregator. They got you Yahoo, AltaVista, and a couple others all the same once. I think I had really? a listserv on it too, yeah.
2: Huh, very dog, cool. Dogpile. Dogpile. Huh? <laughs> Ask Jeeves. I think it's just called Jeeves. Um, Alright, well thank you so much for listening, and if you want to stick around, I'm actually, I did a transportation forum uh, this past Thursday morning, and it's it's more local. The reason I'm just putting it sort of at the end here, it's more local uh, yeah. to New York and New Jersey, but if you live in that area, or if you just want to hear me talk about transportation, uh, feel free to stick around and listen to that episode. I was on Curtis Sliwa's show and Rita Cosby, and I was on with a couple of other guests who work for New York State, or New York City, uh, rather, and uh, it's a good conversation about transportation and honestly it was pretty exciting if you're into local transportation conversations <laughs> yeah which I and, do love to have
1: yeah and listen to this if you want to get the uh Curtis Slewa reference that was made on Venture Brothers last
2: week yes and <laughs> he's he's a character Lo- love him or hate him he is he's an American original he's that is a New York uh, original he's a New York original sure, that's very yes, true. That didn't, yeah yes he is of course Curtis started the Green uh started the uh um, guardian Angels. started the Guardian angels and he's been Sort of in the public eye for 40 years now, or 30 years. Anyway. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hang in there. We're going to get through this together. I promise you that. Cannot wait to see everyone in Champaign, Illinois, for Pygmalion this weekend. Hail yourselves, everyone. It's 108, and we're at Madison
3: Square Garden and the great facilities that have been provided to us for this very special broadcast about transit forum issues as we have moved to Stage 17, the Hackensack Meridian Health Center, and we will return to the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, the cross-examination of Brett Kavanaugh's uh, accuser, and uh, eventually Brett Kavanaugh himself, who will be testifying today. But locally, there's been no bigger issue that has affected folks in New Jersey and New York. Then mass transit, whether it's the subways or buses in the five boroughs, whether it's the Long Island Railroad, whether it's New Jersey transit or we hear, especially in Penn Station that is below us, reader, a complaints, complaints from the 700,000 people who pour out of the system each and every day only to pour back in after work. And they have nothing positive to say about the subways downstairs, about the Long Island Railroad, and even Amtrak, which runs the station and obviously provides the hub for the transportation.
4: And we've got three of the best transit experts, I think, in the business <laughs> to talk about all these huge issues that are confronting us. But remember, Andy Byford says things are getting better. We're going to get to that uh-huh. in a moment. But let me introduce our great, great panel that we have here. We have Gersh Kuntzman, of course, who is the editor and chief at Streets blog NYC. Uh, we also have Danny Perlstein. He is the policy and communications director for Riders Alliance. And we have Ben Kissel, who is the host of last podcast on the left since 2001 yep. before podcasts were even 2011. known. 2011, yeah. forgive me, since uh, before his time on podcasts, which yep. is great. Um, and also you ran, as you mentioned, for Brooklyn Borough President with the yes. Reform Party. Great to have all of you here. And, and there are so many issues, as Curtis was saying. Let's start it out with the sort of the new headline, of course, with Andy Byford, of course, head of Trans. As we hear so often, Curtis and I were talking on our show so much on Curtis and Cosby this week, saying things are getting a little bit better. Be patient. Um, Gersh, do you believe that? Well, look,
0: be patient is a fair thing for him to say. He took over about a year ago, I guess. And uh, he has a, a very ambitious plan, a very expensive plan, Billions and billions of dollars that he needs to get the financing for. Is it getting better? I'll defer to Danny on that. He's in the subway every day. I'm more of a bike and street safety guy. But I will say this. I can be a little patient because I know how difficult it is, that job, and also how little support he gets from the governor and the mayor. Danny By the way, hit. very quickly, though, Gersh, uh,
3: he had a press conference just yesterday in which he said the driving issue for him yesterday was to clean up the pigeon poop mm-hmm. in the subway. <laughs> but it's not a small that, issue. I know, but that does not inspire a lot of confidence. Uh, yeah. it, does,
0: it does inspire what we used to call the broken windows theory, which is you do have to look at the small things, too. So there is some hope there. It, it's better that he he pays attention to it than ignores it. Oh, yeah. pigeon <laughs> poop. Oh, but okay. Come on,
4: pigeon poop. Curtis and I, we, we put out, remember we put out to callers. We had so many callers <laughs> yeah. were like wait a minute, crime, we've been doing about the slashing. (laughs) Danny, you are on the subways every day. Give us a break. Come on, pigeon poop. Well, I mean,
5: I think the logic behind the pigeon poop, and and Andy Byvert said this this is something we've also heard from state legislators, is they want to see that the transit authority is capable of Make having measurable results, and so, as Gersh said, riders are willing to be patient for the big ticket items, the restoration of reliability, the increase in capacity, accessibility for all New Yorkers on the subway. But we want to believe that the MTA is actually capable of getting something right, and so if in the nearer term they can get pigeon poop right, you know then they can set their sights on some you know higher goals, and that 's really what we need them to do right because ridership is you know near historic highs, but delays. Are more than triple what they were a few years ago, and subways move slower than they did in 1950.
3: Now, now Danny, you said riderships are at all time highs, and yet the MTA is reporting less ridership. But they won't acknowledge the reality. Andy Byford, who came uh, from across the pond to address this issue, said, oh, it was because of Uber and Lyft. It was because of gas prices. It was because of uh, employment. And I'm saying it's because people aren't paying the fare, you schmuck, you putz. People <laughs> are bogarting the fare. They're going over the turnstile, under the turnstile, through the emergency door. And there's no longer any enforcement. So there's really no fear on the part of a community to say, why should I pay 275 dollars for a ride? I can just walk in like everyone
0: else. It sounds like another Curtis Lee with gut reaction. I'm not sure you have statistics to back that up. The, the real challenge to the subway is declining ridership because the service is so bad. And that we can all acknowledge. Now, Byford... Wanted to push it off on Uber or Lyft, and some of the ridership probably is going to those sometimes more convenient forms of transportation. But I don't think it's because people are, are jumping the fare willy nilly. There is enforcement of that, and if you you know it as a former guardian angel, what the cops do to people of color when they jump the fare, no they more. Get but
3: you see, that's the point. No more. There's no enforcement. I, I don't think the that's, Brooklyn as DA as and, and the Manhattan we, DA no. have said, look, we are not going to prosecute fare jumpers. So what I've seen when I'm standing at the turnstiles. It's not just the young teenagers who always used to take chances, but grown men and grown women sometimes coming from work who just go right through. They don't pay because and the cops who say, well, it's no point in writing them up. It's not going to be prosecuted. I'm not going to earn any stripes uh, in this collar so that it's just increasing. Have you noticed that, Danny?
5: So I don't I don't think that's you know, much of a thing. I mean, I, I see people asking for swipes. We live in a very unequal city. I see that. You know, the, as a the Riders Alliance, we supported the Fair Fares Initiative. There's going to be half price metric cards for 800,000 New Yorkers living in poverty um, beginning in January. And so we're looking forward to that. But I, I don't think fair beating is a big thing. What I think is that ridership is down a little bit, largely because of how much work the MTA has to do on the weekends and how difficult it is to get around the city on the weekends. But the fact is, most of New York's several million daily subway riders are stuck. We have to ride the right. subway every day. And that's why we look to our elected officials. You have to fund transit. You have to fix the subway. You don't have a choice. We don't well, have a choice. We're stuck.
2: The question is, what do you do with the funding? Because right now they're taking that money and what it seems to me is throwing it in the trash because we haven't seen any improved service whatsoever. I focused on the L train when mm-hmm. I was running for Brooklyn mm-hmm. Borough President. Obviously, yeah. uh, living in Williamsburg, that's a very significant line. The apocalypse. The apocalypse. <laughs> right, we exactly, called which it, I love uh, which I newspapers love. have currently taken yeah. and not credited me for or <laughs> Curtis for because he's the one who initially came up with that wonderful term. <laughs> but the L train specifically, it's going to cost $16 million bucks. It's going to be shut down for 15 months. Currently, it's being shut down on weekends, for example, every weekend in October. Right. And as a person who has taken that basically on a daily basis, uh, it is exceptionally stressful at this time because you just don't have faith that it's going to arrive when it says it's going to, and you don't have faith you're not going to get stuck under the Canarsie Tunnel at any random given time. So the people are um, aren't against financing and, and really investing financially in the MTA and on the, or in the subways, but they're upset because they're not seeing any actual results. 10. And quite frankly, pigeon poop, it doesn't matter. I'll step over. I will step on mounds of pigeon poop <laughs> if I can get to work on time, if but I can get it, to my TV hits but on but let's time. Let's talk about
4: the delays, too, because you know it's so funny. I mean, they're, they're bragging when they were like the headlines. They said a good day is when only 50 trains basically are delayed. I mean, come on. What kind of barometer, Ben Kissel, are they using? And like you People are getting so frustrated.
2: It's a bunch of people who don't take the subway and they're attempting to fix the subway. But in reality, uh, they don't care because they don't understand. For example, I was going to do Neil Cavuto's show uh, this past weekend. It's on Fox Business. And I gave myself a solid hour, I'm sweating on the train mm-hmm. because the L train is delayed. The F train, I mean, my goodness gracious, this thing, it's after midnight. It does not run All whatsoever. Right. And during the day it's its atrocious. It's worse than a pumpkin carriage. And so uh, it causes, and this is a true phenomenon, real stress. Mm-hmm. And it's a stress. It's an undue stress. It's an unneeded stress. And it's solely because the MTA is incompetent and the people oh, who are uh, in charge of it don't ride the dang thing. Let
3: me ask you because you sort of represent a lot of millennials and hipsters who have flooded into northern Brooklyn and taken over
2: yeah. and caused an
3: economic revival of the area. A lot of investment, a yeah, lot yep. of people who have sunk everything they have. No L-Chain service. And I notice already people are vacating.
2: Absolutely. They're already saying, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So Williamsburg, uh, the Bedford, Lorimer stop, Graham stop, Grand, you're seeing a real um, you're seeing a a, a a real fleeing from those areas. And, of course, those areas, the rents are astronomically high. They are beginning to go down a little bit. But the businesses, they haven't been given a break on how much taxes they have to pay. They haven't been given a break on how much rent they have to pay. Uh, those are still old-school statistics, old-school uh, metrics of like how many folks live in this area mm-hmm. but what we are seeing so we're beginning to see a small decline in rent in williamsburg but where is that bubble going bushwick it's just going up they're just pushing it up because that's where the young people are going and oftentimes these young people might have a little bit more cash uh, maybe their parents or perhaps uh, they come from it, it it is what it is but uh so we're seeing a massive economic decline in those areas but the uh, market has been super slow to move well what? danny uh the the Andy Byford has said he's going to go
3: and ask de Blasio and the city for money. De Blasio has said, we've already been raped. We've already been ripped off by the state in Cuomo who took our money and spent it for other uses. I'm not giving a nickel dime a penny for uh, service improvements. So how is Andy Byford going to convince de Blasio to give money When no one has been able to move him before. Well, it's not Andy Byford's job to do that. Andy Byford's job is to run the subway and to fix the subway, and he's put
5: out a plan to do it. But it's Governor Cuomo's job and the state legislature in Albany, their job, to fund the subway. We know it's going to cost tens of billions of dollars to modernize the subway so that it's reliable. And that's the kind of money that only the state can raise. The city is merely a creature of the state. Everything the city does is follow state laws backwards and forwards. That's what the city has to do. The state, as a sovereign, can raise new revenue, can create new sources of revenue. And as riders, what we're looking for is congestion pricing because that can raise a billion and a half dollars a year. The state has to do it. We going to raise a billion and a half dollars a year. It goes a long way toward paying for the modernization of the subway, and that's something where the state has to act. We are looking squarely at Albany, squarely at Governor Cuomo. So let's let's talk
4: though, because it's an right. election year. Um, it's so funny because now it seems like Governor Cuomo's had this epiphany of really focusing on transit. Uh, right. Way too little, way too late. Well, I,
2: mean- I have to. I'm going to do something I don't usually do, nor do I like to do. I will. I will defend Governor Cuomo just slightly. What he did. We offer- realize Cuomo? Can <laughs> Cuomo <laughs> the second the
3: i to go up King Cuomo, the first, man.
2: That's exactly I how I was going to say it.
4: Yeah, let's all try to repeat that, right? <laughs> I have to deal with this every day. I'm like, what did he say?
2: <laughs> but Cuomo did offer to pay 50% of the MTA. He, he offered uh, to um, to pay 50% if the city would chip in 50% to fix the MTA. De Blasio turned that down because De Blasio doesn't want to bear any of the blame for mm-hmm. the struggling trains. He doesn't want to bear any responsibility because, as we've talked about before, he wants to run for president. I think that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't want his hand. Dirty whatsoever. Well, so like in Castello, defense, they're both
4: like pointing yeah, at each exactly. other. Like, who's did, who's on exactly. And the people know? in the
2: middle are the ones who are you know getting the
0: getting the bullet well, in the head. There's another Abbott and Castello act though, which is the politicians know that the MTA with the riders has this reputation of being not a not doing very well. They're a money pit, if you will. So the politicians don't feel this pressure to give more money to it. So that's why they're stalling on congestion pricing because they hear from their constituents, well, I don't want to pay a toll that you're going to give to the subway that's going to be wasted. Now, if Byford can show some initial support and show some initial success, then there would be more of a constituency for the politicians to get off their ass and actually provide the money. That's exactly right. I mean, I don't think that it's, it's the mayor's 50% to split Because the
5: mayor has no control over the subway. The history of the subway system in 110 years has been a gradual shift to the state's control because only the state can afford something like the subway. The subway is simply too expensive for the city. The city's role is as a service provider, police, fire, sanitation, education. It's a big payroll. The city has a massive payroll. I don't know if you want to ask some of the representatives of those folks whether they want the city giving... Ten billions of dollars, a blank check over to Governor Cuomo to spend on the subway that he controls.
3: But you mentioned all this money that's needed. Everyone acknowledges. And Jersey's also saying through Governor Murphy, you know, we're in the hole. We need billions of dollars to fix our infrastructure. New Jersey transit is abysmal. But that means you have to be nice to President Trump because he holds the purse strings. All of these guys loathe, hate, despise Trump. They would crucify him tomorrow if they can. They go out of their way to attack him. How are they going to try to get any federal funds if they spend... All of their political capital attacking him. It
0: depends on the president's ego. Look, the president has shown a reluctance to fund mass transit projects all over the country that are already approved. Obviously, there's no reason to curry favor with him. He's not going to fund mass transit because he doesn't care about those voters. They're in urban areas, and those voters have traditionally shown they don't like him. They haven't voted for him. So why am going to curry favor with President Trump? You should make
3: this proposal. The Canarsie Tunnel has nothing to do with Canarsie. It connects Williamsburg to the Lower East Side, First Avenue Station. Just suggest you get renamed the Trump tunnel. Yeah,
2: exactly, Dude, like for
1: Trump. Come, Come on, right? play to his ego. I was going.
2: actually just thinking that, and Donald Trump would give all the uh, as much money as he possibly could if you could name it after him. Uh, he loves to see that name on any building, regardless if it's a, a nice one or a bad one. It doesn't matter. Um, but uh, when it comes to the city and when it comes to the state, uh, this notion that uh, the city has no responsibility or doesn't bear any responsibility for the MTA, I, I don't agree with that. Um, perhaps that's been more of the case in recent years. But in the past, there was a much more cohesive um, uh, uh, coalition with mm-hmm. with uh, Albany and with the city to to make sure that the MTA runs, and it does have a real um, stake. The, the state has a real stake in the MTA tourism. Uh, when it, when people come down here, they want to be able to feel safe on the subways, mm-hmm. and they want to be able to go to you know everything in Midtown. All these things, the subway is what takes you well, there. So a the state that to the state.
0: It's also the economic Huge. engine of the state. So. Of By course. the way,
4: you tipped off um, crime, and I want to get to crime too because. Yeah. A, that's a huge issue. Well, let me just say that about.
3: was, uh, we just heard from Gersh Kunzman, editor-in-chief of uh, Street Blog. Also, he's the Pee-wee Herman, the bicycle enthusiast.
4: <laughs> the hat. Who
3: hates cars and hates people who drive cars and trucks and vans. He'd want the city paved over just for the Pee-wee Hermans of the yes. world. It. Then does. it's Danny so, Pearlstein, policy people. and communications mm-hmm. director for Writers <laughs> <laughs> Alliance who are on the jockstrap of our politicians to make sure transit gets its due and obviously mm-hmm. that the Buses and trains run on time. And Ben Cassell, podcast host of the last podcast on the left, who also ran for Brooklyn Borough president with the Reform Party, didn't win. But he's one of many millennials and hipsters yep. who have been told,
2: ah, yep. apocalypse, L- apocalypse, right. no L train for <laughs> close to two years. Right. And, I mean, right now what they're doing to fix the L train um, is, is absolutely abhorrent. They have this L train car service that uh, this company is going to be charging $155 a month to use. We think they, they want... should
4: have a bar car because then people can oh, sort of forget their ride. You absolutely.
2: Know? <laughs> but when you talk about biking, because I do believe pollution's a real issue, uh, New York mm-hmm. City, specifically, we are on the front lines of of global warming and the uh, and the crisis when it comes to our environment. Certainly, we want to keep make sure that it, we can do all we can uh, to uh, to help the our environment as much as possible. But the, every solution that the MTA has is more buses and more cars, so it's it's uh, absolutely atrocious when well, it comes to that. Let's remember so,
0: though, with the L-apocalypse, the L apocalypse, apocalypse you want to call it. The work needs to be done, and the the plan that the MTA has with the DOT is actually fairly. Uh, in, it, it's, it's exciting to see they're actually taking it seriously. They're, you're talking about 80 buses an hour going across the Williamsburg Bridge. I don't think they can do 80 buses in 60 minutes, but that will remain to be seen. And those are supposed to be elect- electric buses. We're going to have HOV over the Williamsburg Bridge. Now, can we move as many people as quickly? No, nothing does that you like can subway.
2: Move, it's 17% it is 17% yeah. of the people that take the L train a- every hour they can move on these buses it's just simply not going to work
4: not in not in UN traffic but we'll get to that later <laughs>
2: no, yeah, let that's me true.
4: danny let me get well, to you MTA about well the MTA
5: is also estimating that 85% will stay on the yes, subway an I was hour and our big concern about that is that the subway is already at or near capacity in those areas and it's unreliable. So we know that those buses are going to be absolutely critical. And that's why we leaned on the city successfully to create this bus priority over city streets and the Williamsburg bridge. It's going to be extremely important to a well-functioning else. It's also,
4: by the way, it's also uh, unsafe too, as you're talking about unreliable. And and I want to make sure we get to some of the crime stuff too. We just have a little bit, we're going to get to streets in in our next section too. Um, Talk about, the safety on the subways, because I, I, we were talking this week on uh, on the air. I, I was on the subway. These guys who are visiting, kind of hitting to your point, um, Gersh, very well, These here they're coming in from all over the world. They're so excited. It's their first time to be in New York. They're on the subway. Uh, a guy was literally kind of going to the bathroom, and people were worried about being stabbed, and that's right. their impression of New York. So there's so many repercussions. It breaks my heart because we all love this city. Um, but, Danny, how concerned are you about the impact of crime taking place? And, and is it getting any better? We don't see it getting better.
5: You know, I, I think that this, this the statistics bear out that crime on the subway is relatively low and has been for a long time. What I do think is that, you know, the subways serve as the public space of the city. And there's vanishingly small public space for people to be in. And there are people who really are sort of shunted from one public space to another, whether it's a library, you know, some kind of vestibule or a subway car, and people have nowhere else to go. And they really, they need access to mental health services. They need access to social services. And that's something where everybody has to collaborate in, because those are city services. And the subway, as I was describing, is is a state function. But the NYPD does ride the subway. um, You know, there are social services that are, do come into the subway on occasion to try and move people out. Right, but and it's, uh, it's it's a perception uh, issue, right, I but think, for more than, uh, Daddy, more than under the reality. Under
3: Giuliani and Bloomberg, when they were mayors, you didn't see the number of emotionally and homeless people using the system 24 hours. You get on on rush hour, there are whole cars you can't even get into because there's a homeless guy there with his shopping cart mm-hmm. filled to the brim, stinking the joint up, and you're saying... Get him out of there. Well, and you definitely
5: – I, I mean that subway – you know, I rode the subway six years in high school in the 90s, and, and I definitely saw that constantly on the four or five trains going up the east side during Giuliani. So, so I think that this has been with us for a long time. Is it worse? That is probably worse. That's not crime, though. I would say that's a human I tragedy.
3: But if people are paying good money and they want another fare, they want to increase the fare not only on the subways but the Long Island Railroad. What gall, what gumption when they're not doing anything about the homeless situation or the mentally disturbed? And then you hear Governor Cuomo in his recent debate with Cynthia Nixon say, oh, they have a constitutional right to be there. No, they don't. They don't have a constitutional right. How did they get into the system? Who paid the fare? It's two I'd like to know. Every day they're in the subway system. They have no money. So the point is they need, out of the system... Get them the mental health care they need. Get them a psychiatric evaluation. The last place they should be is in a subway station or on buses, causing all kinds of grief to people who are trying to get to and from work and home.
5: No, I think that's right. It's, it's a difficult thing, and it's something where people slip through the cracks, and there's a lot of agencies that need to act together to fix it.
2: Yeah, and that's what we're seeing. That's when it comes to de Blasio, and that's the hypocrisy that I despise so much. When this man um, tells us he's a liberal and tells us that he's uh, you know pro-environment and, and pro-mental health, uh, you know, um, facilities for people in need. But in reality, he shut down mental health clinics and his solution was to put them in these very wealthy hotels in Midtown where they can't afford any of the food around. He didn't put them in the right location whatsoever was a huge waste of money. And that kind of hypocrisy, I think is what has the people of New York so aggravated. And that's why his approval ratings are so low.
3: Now the person in charge of the MTA is the governor, Governor Cuomo. You never know that when you talk to him, he vacillates, I'm not uh, give me more power and I'll be in charge during his debate with Cynthia Nixon. He said, no, no, no. The New York City subway system is run by the city of New York. Total lie. You know, it's the state agency. Mm -hmm. The guy is not taking charge. So nobody really has confidence in his ability to improve the situation. First and foremost, you got to take charge. You got to take responsibility.
0: (laughs) It gets back to what we were talking about earlier. He doesn't feel like he'll get enough credit for improving the subway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know he, he, there's no constituency for that, for right. him, to to risk any bit of That's political capital. That's why I'm saying it's an election year, and you yeah, listen right.
4: to his language. It's mm-hmm. very careful what he mm-hmm. says. Um, everybody, um, you're listening right now to the Tri-State Transit Summit here on 77 WABC. We've got Gert uh, Kuntzman, of course, the editor-in-chief of Streets Blog NYC, a big bike expert. Also, Danny Perlstein, who is the director for Riders Alliance, and Ben Kissel who is the host of the last podcast on the left and also ran for Brooklyn Borough president. Um, You know, we talk about crime, too, and I understand the whole mental health issue. But one of the things we talk about constantly on Curtis and Cosby is we talk all the time about also the fact that we see a lot of the NYPD guys uh, barely down there on the subway. I take the subway quite a bit. I don't see them that often as a woman. It's a lot of issues that I feel like the women on there, you kind of go, okay, good, okay, I made it through another ride on the subway. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you also see the MTA workers are sort of sitting in their little glass booths, barely moving. Um, why is that? Why have they not, even if some of it is just a perception issue, as you are saying, why are they not trying to fix the perception? My goodness.
5: I think it's, it is a priority of Andy Byford's, though, to get people out of the booth, to get them moving around the stations and sharing information with the riders. I think the real struggle is there's now just such a barrage of information that riders need to know. You know, in the past, when ridership was lower, when population was lower, when there was less tourism, um, you know, everyone just sort of rode their route and went home. Mm. Now New Yorkers have scattered to the winds, right, because rents are rising, we move all over the city, we have to find our relatives and friends all over the city in new neighborhoods, on new subway lines all the time. We're constantly moving. And we have a record tourism. So we have you know, 60 million people coming to the city every year mm-hmm. trying to find their way to some obscure you know, restaurant or coffee shop they heard of you know, when they were on, half a world away. And so there's so much more information about the subway, so many more directions, and so many service changes piled on top of that that make it difficult to figure out at exactly what time can you get where by what means that I think when the people do come out of the booths, they're going to be inundated with really, really yeah, complicated but Danny, requests for directions. What
3: really bothers people is they'll see a work crew that's supposed to be down in the tracks fixing the tracks because all the uh, traffic has been rerouted, and they're sitting on their big tookresses, and they're sitting. And you say, where's the supervision? And then you find out the work is subcontracted to a company. So they're getting paid regardless. The MTA is not supervising. People see this. They're in an outrage. It's like they can't get their train. They can't get the C or the B or they can't get the F train or they can't get this train because it's being rerouted supposedly for track work. And they see track workers sitting up there. I mean, they're not even out of sight, out of mind. They sit out there. Then you have the maintenance workers who barely do any maintenance while the rats are running around and doing the Harlem Shuffle, you know, the newest dance craze, right on the platforms. They're taking garbage canisters out of the system. Whoever thought of that idea? I think they are putting them back. I think they they, they admitted to on that one. The MTA came up with the fact (laughs) that if you take garbage cans out, you'll have less refuse. What a bunch of morons.
5: Yeah. I, you know, I look, I think that there
3: are all, there are there are always there are
5: always efficiencies, inefficiencies. And it's and, it, you know, people see that and they're frustrated when they see people who are maybe on break or they're waiting for other work to finish up so they can get their work in there because the sequencing is very complicated. This is very high tech stuff. And it's stuff that, you know, safety for hundreds of thousands of people rely on. We want it done right. I think we can bear watching some people wait in order But the question is, why are work. we
4: waiting so long? I mean, I understand, and I do believe that there's good intent by the Andy Bifords and all these people, but it still goes back to, it's not like an epiphany that it got right. bad. You know, why did they not try to turn the corner well, sooner? Well, it's our
5: politicians. You know, they spend right. a generation not properly funding well, the subway, well, and it's caught up with us in a very serious way.
3: Well, we're going to flip the script from buses and trains up next to the thing that I hate, I loathe, I despise. Bicycle lanes with no bicyclists on it. As you look up east, you look down west, and you say, what the hell is a bicycle lane here? And you see traffic backed up infinitum. Obviously, I'm coming for you, Gersh Kuntzman, (laughs) and the rest of our panelists. Right (laughs) now, we're in the midst of our transit forum. We will return to the Senate Judiciary hearing. It's expected to be talking to Judge Kavanaugh momentarily. But this is our transit forum right here on the Curtis and Cosby Show at 77 a.m. WABC. 140. we we're back here for our transit forum that deals with the transit mess in New Jersey, where Governor Murphy has said, no mas, no mas, it sucks. It's going to even get worse. So they're not even pretending it's going to get better. But recently we saw Andy Biford of the MTA running the subways and buses saying, we've turned the corner on the same day that the Long Island Railroad, which had the worst on-time performance in its history in August, say, we're turning the corner. And most of the commuters said, no, you're not. So we assembled a very prestigious group of know-it-alls here who actually use the transit system. And in the case of Gersh Kunzman, uh, Pee Wee Herman's around on his bicycle.
4: Yeah, now that I've gotten to see him, he's been on our show. This is the first time. I sort of agree with you, but he is charming. Nonetheless, (laughs) we have Gersh Gunsman as you just heard. Which part part did you agree with?
5: (laughs) (laughs) The
4: then then you ride the bike. Oh, you're, I you're, do I, ride a bike. We'll yes. get to the other in a moment. Curtis will defend me no matter All right. what. All right, Kurt, we have Gersh Kuntzman with us here, as you just heard, editor-in-chief of Streets Blog NYC. We also have Danny Perlstein with us, continuing here on our great Transit Summit. He is the director for Riders Alliance, the policy and communications director, and we love that. And also we have Ben Kissel, who since 2011 has been the host of the last podcast on the left. He also ran for Brooklyn Borough Pres- president for the reform party so so gersh we got to start with you yeah. all right since you are in our crosshairs all right
0: um i'm gonna put my helmet
3: on yeah you, you, <laughs> be
4: yeah, you better because, We're, because we got go incoming for you baby for we got right now coming. there are
3: a number of our listeners who are stuck in traffic it's back to back belly to belly nut to butt and they're looking at the bike lane right next to them mm. in which they're looking south they're looking north no bicycles no traffic and they say What the hell is there a bike lane here for? Gersh, you can't believe that all these
0: bike lanes are necessary that we see in the five boroughs. I think not only are they all necessary, we need more, and I'll tell you why. It's more? Not, don't think of it as a bike lane issue, Curtis. <laughs> this is your problem. You always go to anecdotal and gut reactions. The fact is, the streets are getting safer in New York City as these bike lanes get installed. The statistics show they're safer for drivers, they're safer for pedestrians and cyclists. There are fewer and fewer accidents as a result of these bike lanes. Yeah,
3: because nobody's moving. Traffic's <laughs> not right. moving. Again,
0: driving in a, a single-person car. Car is one of the most selfish forms of transportation we have. It takes up the most room. It's the least efficient. What we need to do is create more lanes for mass transit. Danny will certainly defend me on this one. More, more lanes for dedicated mass transit so people would get out of their cars and there'd actually be less congestion. But here's the thing. right? You have more than 2 million New Yorkers
5: every day are riding our buses. Meanwhile, they're getting slower and slower. They're averaging 6.7 miles an hour. We need bus lanes. Right, we have we have some bus lanes, but we need more and we're pushing the mayor right now. We want to see 60 miles more bus okay, lanes so in the city before if you have a he leaves bus office, lane, which
3: I agree you need, especially Ooh, for the yeah. rush hours, AM and PM. That's great. And then you have the bicycle lanes. Yeah. What's left for the cars, the trucks, the vans, the people who commercially move products, the plumbers, the the carpenters who have to fix things? How are they going to get to and from their job sites, and where are they going to park?
2: Well, those are really the forgotten people in all of this. The, the Amazon delivery driver, the UPS delivery driver. It just makes their lives more difficult, and a lot of these folks don't live here. They're coming through the city for the first time. It's a huge money grab for the city. Everything's a ticket now, and so there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of money to be made the, the, with the, more bike lanes and more restrictions.
0: Look, there are people within the Department of Transportation and the Department of Finance who work on this all the time. They talk about creating more loading zones, specific loading zones for the working man, the working Woman And the Department of Finance is now considering actually reducing the uh, or increasing the penalties to some of those Amazon trucks so that maybe they wouldn't double-park. Okay, it's the double-park. The,
2: the, the, the key words we're the, talking about. No, They're no, not no, doing it right. But that's right. And why they should, not
3: financial incentives to businesses, particularly mid-level businesses, small, small mom-and-pop businesses, nighttime deliveries? We can all agree at night. Uh, The streets are relatively quiet after 10. And and the trucking
0: companies say, but then the store that I'm delivering to needs to have an employee there at night. So that's a complicated issue. You give a
3: financial break to the store, whether it's on the the price of the lease, the tax, the commercial rent tax. This way you don't have what I call clutter because, let's face it, the truck's. Who's going to move a truck when they double-park to triple-park because they're delivering beer that coach has to knock back at his local brewski joint? Or Room you better run that brewski, right? We're We're gotcha. yeah, from from Wisconsin. Think, they're rolling I think, out uh, the cakes. I think yeah. we can all agree ben
4: is going to defend beer. I can, of hear, course, it right now, I can hear it Of course, I'm from Wisconsin. By law, <laughs> I
2: must. I
0: think we can all agree that double-parked cars are the problem. They are the cause of the vast majority of congestion in the city. A double-parked car ruins all of the DOT street design plans and schemes. You put one but illegally it- parked car it ruins it it doesn't ruin
2: it that's just reality if you're an uber driver where are you supposed to stop
0: let's create loading zones for these people so they do not have to wait a
4: minute where's the? all you have
0: to do is reduce this on-street car storage that you guys call parking but that is basically private car storage in the public right-of-way that is an insane idea if you want to move this city why do you get to put a two
2: thousand pound vehicle with all your belongings in the public right-of-way i don't get it how can you expect (laughs) someone who's making you know 15 bucks an hour, tops, three kids, to go and get private parking. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Those people don't have cars. Those
5: people don't
0: have cars. That's a myth. It's a total myth. It's a total myth. myth. Some people have cars, but the vast majority of people want to ride the subway and they want to ride the buses. And if we make the buses and the subway better and better, there's even less of a need for cars. It
3: always gets back to. The politicians say we need to promote mass transit, and they don 't fix mass transit, so it forces people to seek other that's alternative right. means, mm-hmm. so unless they fix the subways and buses it 's really a dead end argument
0: well they 've got to do them in
5: tandem i mean that 's the idea of congestion pricing right you Take some of the cars off the road, the people who really don't need to drive, the unnecessary trips. The people who do need to drive can afford to pay. And we know they can afford to well, pay because it's not right. the people we're talking about. Yeah. It's the people, the households with cars in the city earn more than twice households without cars.
4: And everybody, you're sure. listening to our uh, Tri State Transit Summit here on 77 WABC, Curtis and Cosby. We're going to get back, of course, to the Kavanaugh hearings shortly um, as we understand that Dr. Ford is still testifying. Kavanaugh himself is going to be coming up. In a few minutes, um, and we are hearing from our great transit experts, Curtis and I here. Uh, we're hearing from Kurt Gersh Kunzman, of course, the editor in chief and the bike believer. I'm gonna he take my helmet off with now. Streets blog, New York City, of course, bike tier, as you were saying, 25 minutes. Also, we have Danny Perlstein, who is the policy and communications director for the Riders' Alliance, and Ben Kissel, who is the host of the last podcast on the left. Um, it, uh, we just right. have a few minutes left, you guys, and I want to make sure we get to um, – you brought up Ubers, too, because right. that, that's also a really big issue here. We literally have about three, four minutes left. Ubers, taxis, this became such a huge headline in the last few you know, weeks, particularly – has it been solved just in the last 24 hours I was reading um, that Uber is spending 10 million bucks uh, to try to solve the problems? Is Uber, is it an Uber taxi issue? Is it a political issue?
2: Uh, well, absolutely, of course it is. Absolutely. But I want to mm. go back. Yes, uh, it's definitely a taxi mm. issue. We saw people buy medallions for a million bucks that are now worth 25,000 bucks, and suicides are but extremely high. But they were worried about going phenomenon. out of business.
4: That's what oh, I'm absolutely. saying. Absolutely, of course. Yeah, but but they just had going them, back.
3: They're all themselves to blame, the yellow cabs, because every a.m. and p.m. rush hour, remember, they'd be off-duty. They opened up, sure. they, and mm. Uber and Lyft and other drivers filled the void. So tough noogies on the yellow cab, uh, cab drivers. That's right, what I, the, I mean, the,
2: technology technology trumped them. It is what it is.
0: But the issue also, though, is the medallion, uh, it was a bad, failed system. Mm. But it also was its own form of congestion pricing, if you think about it, because you capped the number of medallions, and there wasn't Uber and Lyft when that system was running. Well, impertably. tell that to Michael so, Kong.
4: I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just right. saying that's but where but a lot of the congestion is Tell around, that to Michael Kohn, girl right. He
0: invested
3: a fortune he in sure the medallions. But we needed a way to get around, to you
4: guys, because it was at the point where, you know, even though as someone who, like, hails the cabs, I mean, I take I feel like every form of transportation in the city, and you're sitting there going, okay, well, where's the cab? Where's the this? Okay, well, so you turn to Uber. You know, you you can't blame consumers like all of us listening. I
2: just want to go back to one point that is really kind of aggravating me. So you talk about uh, people who have cars. They might earn twice as much as people who don't have cars, right? Why should they be punished for the amount of income that they have? And now all of a sudden, because now they have to purchase a private place to put their car. Now they're making just as much money as the people who can't buy a car. It's not so a I punishment. Just don't, it is a punishment. It's not a punishment. because, punishment because New York is
5: no. It, what's not fair? They're getting a free ride right now. They they're get, not
2: getting a free they ride. They get free, they free rent, free rent for their car I on the was street. There's a truck driver making ninety thousand dollars a year. Was that a lot of money? Well, no, in Wisconsin. You know, with different from It was here. still a lot of money. Right in lot, New York,
5: in, in Wisconsin, it was more money. And in New York, he would have many
0: more options I just of how to get around. That is just such a race to just, the bottom. we no, just We're just talking left. about what the curb is going to be priced at. And it needs to be priced at something. Right now, in retail areas, we price it with the meter. In residential areas, we don't price it at all. There and, has to be a price. I want to thank no, all of you so.
4: guys, too. Unfortunately, we got to wrap up. I got to, I want to tell you how fantastic it's been. Curtis and I could talk about this for hours with all of you. And we want to thank you all. Gersh Kunzman, great to have you you here minus the helmet holding the helmet there i
3: um, hate you girls i
4: will try to split you guys up afterwards um also danny perlstein of course with the riders alliance great to have you here
2: hail yourselves everyone thank you for listening we'll talk to you soon
4: when booking
0: with other vacation rental apps sounds like this
2: this place doesn't look like the pictures come on the doors are on back
4: Is there a door behind all those spiders?
0: (laughs) It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation.
5: (sighs) Look at how many spiders there aren't.
0: Where should we lie down for eight
2: consecutive hours first?
3: Relax, you booked a verbo.